The following message was recorded at New Beginnings Church in Slidell, Louisiana. Please feel free to duplicate and share this message as you feel led. And you are invited to visit us at New Beginnings Church at 330 Robert Boulevard, Slidell, Louisiana, 70458. Our Sunday services start at 10 a.m., and if you have any questions, call us at 985-781-4663. And may God richly bless you as you listen to this message. James did a wonderful job yesterday. Those of you who were here, uh, I mean, everyone just kind of walks out saying, how deep is that well in James Barron? <laughs> he just keeps bringing uh, refreshing waters of truth that uh, just, uh, uh, they, they just impressed us. I've, uh, I've had the, the privilege of going to seminary for several years and uh, I've been exposed to many things, but uh, they weren't teaching what James Barron teaches, I promise you that. Uh, they didn't know, uh, in ignorance, uh, they don't know the, the whole revelation of the gospel of grace that God has uh, given to James. So uh, he's here today. We're, we're so happy to have him with us. So let's give him a good slide L welcome. James Barron. It's James in his tattered Bible. I think some pages may even be missing or at least torn out. <laughs> Lord, we cannot see these things or understand these things with our natural mind. We come and say, Lord, open our eyes even more to see these things. You said, call unto me and I will answer thee. And I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. You surely have. And you will again. This is not of man or of this world. This is the good news proclaimed by the power of the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. This is the revelation of the secret of God. For behold, a child is born, a son is given. The seed, the woman who will crush the serpent's head, has come. Lord, open our eyes to see this amazing work that you accomplished, that only the Holy Spirit can open our eyes to. For he has given to show us the things that belong to you and now belong to us because of our union with you. What a mystery. For he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Lord, thank you for opening our eyes. Lord, may every person here and those by the sound of my voice, may they be comforted by the Holy Spirit. May they know the great love of God that reaches for them, desires to hold them, and is intent on granting their deepest desires. You're a good father and a good shepherd, and you laid down your life for the sheep. Thank you, Lord. 
May everyone feel and know your great love that surpasses knowledge, the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of this love, the love of God for each one. He calls his sheep by name. He knows each one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Yesterday we shared some thoughts about the door. Jesus said, I am the door. This awesome reality that God has brought to us through Christ, that we can pass through the door, pass through Christ, so to speak, and experience his world, his kingdom. The glad news of the kingdom of heaven is that God has brought heaven to us. We couldn't get there. He brought heaven to us. And Paul says, now the kingdom of heaven is within you by the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy, like we sang. So in Christ, you have the very righteousness of God himself as a gift. As Paul says, he who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. So Within, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have the righteousness of God himself in us. We have the joy and the peace of Christ himself. Like Jesus said when he left, he goes, I leave my peace with you, not as the world gives. I leave my joy with you, not as the world gives. It's a different world. It's a whole different reality. It's a whole different reality. The glad news of the kingdom of heaven is within us now because we have believed. The gift of the Spirit brings His world within us. That's why we said yesterday, Jesus said, in this world you shall have trouble. We shall have trouble and tribulation. We have hard times in this world, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. And we talked yesterday about what that really means when he says, I have overcome this world. He's not just talking about when our bodies die and we can go to heaven. He's talking about now. Because he said, you can rejoice now. Rejoice now, he said. So there's something about overcoming the world that maybe we haven't understood fully that he wants us to know. I mean, he said it. I came to give you life and life more abundantly. That means now. He said he came to give us such a gift within that you will never thirst again and never hunger again. He who comes to me shall never thirst again, never hunger again. That's not talking about the afterlife. He said, now this reality can explode within us where Paul and Peter said, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory when it's fully apprehended within. It's awesome. All because of what Jesus did. I want to share a few thoughts about the scriptures first and then go from there. I'm not going to speak a long time today, um, but I want to share some thoughts that um, I think will be a blessing to us. But to begin with the scriptures, it's really important for us to, I think, understand three things to really get the revelation of who Jesus is and his work out of the scriptures. Three things we have to have to understand. The first thing we have to understand, I believe, is that we must see that the scriptures 
primarily are all about Jesus himself. Jesus is hidden in the writings of the prophets and revealed in the writings of the apostles. When the scripture says that the foundation is, are the apostles and the prophets and Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, that we are built upon the writings of the apostles and prophets, what they're saying, that's their, their way of saying we're built upon the Old and New Testaments because they didn't call it the Old Testament or the New Testament. They called it the writings of the, of the apostles, that's New Testament, and the writings of the prophets, the Old Testament, see? So when they said the writings of the apostles and the prophets, what they're saying, what Paul is saying is that we were built on the foundation of this book, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone revealed in this book. You see? And salvation, Jesus said, is of the Jew. And there's no other book than this book that can lead to the truth of who God is. It's the Jewish prophets. God gave the word to the Jewish prophets and the Jewish apostles who brought the revelation of the Jewish Messiah. And there's no other book. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search these scriptures and you think in these scriptures you have life, but they speak of me and you won't come to me that you might have life. Now, there was no writings of the apostles yet when he said that. He was talking about just the prophets. He's talking about just the Old Testament. He said, you search the writings of the prophets and you think that you have life in these writings of the prophets, but they speak of me. And you won't come to me that you might have life. They stopped short of, of the revelation that was hidden there. They stopped short and they boasted in the law. They boasted in their obedience to the commandments. So the first thing we must see is that this, the scriptures are all about him. He's hidden there. Jesus and his work are hidden all through the scriptures, and it's, it's like treasure. Like yesterday, we talked about 2 Kings chapter 7. That story is a treasure opening up about the, the two worlds we live in. In this world and in his world, the kingdom. We have been translated, Paul says, out of the kingdom of this darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved son now by the gift of the spirit. But we live in this world still in it, but not of it, Jesus said. So we live in two worlds at the same time. In this old, dark world that's decaying and passing away through the body. But the real you, a new creation, lives in another world called the kingdom of heaven. You have been translated, not will be, have been translated into the kingdom of the beloved son. Now you have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power that is experienced in your body as you walk this earth is clearly seen to be of God and not of you. You have been circumcised by the hand of God, the body of the flesh cut away that he may join himself to us in a great mystery of death and resurrection for you were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It is the awesome work of God that he has brought us through a door that no man can shut. A reality that is rich in revelation of God's love and God's awesomeness and greatness. Call unto me and I will answer thee and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. He's done an amazing thing. Paul said it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
So we need to see, number one, that the Scripture reveals who Jesus is, and that's, that's what we look for, and his work, explaining what his work was all about. It's hidden there. It's so awesome. The second thing we need to understand in reading the Scriptures, it's so important, is to realize that in this book are two trees. There are two trees in this book. There is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then there is the tree of life. There are two covenants in this book. There are more than two covenants. There are some minor covenants, small covenants between God and David and so forth. But there are two big covenants that affect the whole world. Only two that affect the whole world. Two covenants. In this book, there are two covenants. There are two trees, and the trees correspond to the covenants. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a picture of the, tr- of the covenant of law. The tree of life is a picture of the covenant of grace. When you read the scripture, looking for Jesus in the scripture, be sure and ask the Spirit to help you read according to the tree of life. Paul said this, that in the reading of the Old Covenant, to this day, a veil remains on their minds, the Jews, who read the, 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 the prophets according to the law and according to the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong and good and evil. A veil remi- remains on their minds to this day because they don't read it properly. They're reading the words without the revelation of Christ. For the righteousness which is by faith does not speak like the righteousness which is by law. It doesn't speak the same way. The law says and commands you to do in order to be. The gospel declares it is done. And it is finished. So if you read the law... As it is written, you will constantly be pulled back to a performance-based mentality and a works-based relationship with God, trying to earn His love, trying to be good enough to get what you have already been given. Paul says, Paul is bold and quotes Moses. And Moses said to the people of Israel, if you obey this law, you will be blessed. And if you don't obey this law, you will be cursed. And don't say that you have any excuse because don't say who shall go to the heavens and get this law because I'm telling you the law now. And don't say who shall go to the depths of the earth and get the commandments because I'm telling you what the commandments are right now. It's even in your mouth because I made you speak it back to me, Moses said. Paul takes that scene that is Scripture that is in the writings of the prophets, the Apostle Paul, with the key of Christ, with the revelation of the finished work of the Son of God, says, we no longer speak like Moses spoke. And in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul changes the words of Moses. And says, we no longer say, as Moses says, you have no excuse. Don't ask for the commandments up that in heaven or in the depths of the earth. Paul says, we now say, 
Do not ask for Christ to come down from the heavens, for He has already come. Do not say, who shall bring Him up from the dead, for He has already been raised. The Word is nigh thee in your heart and in your mouth. It's not a commandment to keep. It's a son to believe in. If you believe in your heart, unto, you believe unto righteousness, and confession is made unto salvation. Isn't that awesome? He changes the words of Moses. See, you've got to be bold like Paul. Paul saw the truth of Christ. He fulfilled the law. Jesus said, I have come not to do away with the law, or not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. I have come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. What does that mean? He did not come to lower the standard so we could make it into heaven. God's going to strike uh, no adultery, that's too hard. Don't steal, that's too hard. That's destroying the law. Jesus did not come to lower the standard so we could make it in. No, He actually exalted the law. The Scripture says when Messiah comes, He shall exalt the law and bring it to its true glory before the people. In other words, He would say stuff like this. You say you've not committed adultery? If you've ever lusted once in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He exalted the law. You say you haven't murdered anybody? If you hate one time, one person, you've already committed murder. He exalted the law. He shined with bright glory the actual law itself, the heart and spirit of righteousness. And nobody could stand in that light. And every mouth was shut. And that's what He came to do. Messiah came to so magnify the law that you would have no hope in yourself to be good enough to walk with God. And that's why the Scripture says, the poor in spirit will get this. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who see your bankruptcy before God. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, Jesus said, the prostitute, the prostitute will enter my kingdom before the Pharisee. He didn't say the Pharisee wouldn't enter in. He just said she would enter in before. In other words, sooner. Because the Pharisee would have to go through a lot to eventually realize, I can't do this. The prostitute, one step. I know I can't do this. The prostitute is like, I know I'm not worthy. I know there's no hope for me. And Jesus would say, blessed are you. Believe on me only. Don't be afraid. And she entered in to the kingdom. She wiped his feet with her hair, with tears. And Jesus said, though your sins be many, they are forgiven. While the Pharisee, having dinner with Jesus, looked down their nose at her and said, how can he allow such a woman to touch him? You see? Christ is the end of the law. We boast in Christ. And that's what glorifies the Father. Peter and James and John went up to the mount with Jesus that day. And... Jesus went a ways to pray and they beheld his clothes change and 
the light that was already in him, he allowed it to get out so they could see it. He allowed the kingdom, the realm, and his glory to come through his clothes. The scripture says his, it were, they were whiter than any laundry could get them. It was amazing. They tried to describe it. It was a shiny white that came through his clothes and his face. And then Moses and Elijah appeared out of nowhere. Where did they come from? Peter, John, James, like, what the heck? <laughs> Moses and Elijah appears, and they're talking to Jesus. And they're like amazed. What's going on here? And then Peter says, this is really good that we're here. This is amazing. We need to make a little a, a tabernacle. We need to make a, a, a monument of something uh, to r- remind us of this event. This is amazing. That's, a, that's Moses. That's Elijah. And, and what's happening to Jesus? This is a, I, I, we need to make one for Moses and one for Elijah and one for Jesus. And when he said that, Moses and Elijah disappeared. A great cloud came down. And a voice spoke from the cloud. Only Jesus remained. And the voice of the Father said to Peter and James and John, Hear ye him. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's not on the same level as Moses and Elijah. He is Emmanuel. He is God in the flesh. He is the wheel within the wheel. He's the hidden seed. He is the the word of God that was with God and was God that all things were made by for him and through him. To look upon him is to look upon the Father. He is the express image of God. He is without sin. He is the last Adam, the new beginning, the first man in heaven. He is everything. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is, he must have the preeminence in all things. And Moses is, I mean, and Peter wants to have Moses and Elijah, you see? And we do the same thing when we read the scriptures, when we read the prophets. If we don't see the preeminence of Christ in the writings of the prophets, the prophets saw this, but they couldn't, you know, Peter says they, they inquired about these, these revelations they were getting. They didn't know what, how this was all going to fit together. They just, they spoke by the Spirit, but they didn't understand a lot of it, the Scripture says. I mean, one prophet just said, the Lord says, consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Consider not the things of old. Consider all that gone. It's a brand new game is coming. A brand new covenant the old covenant was all about commandments to keep in order to be blessed the new covenant is not even between you and God the old covenant was between Israel and God with Moses as the mediator and by the way if you're a Gentile you weren't invited to that covenant anyway So Gentiles who try to keep the law of Moses, it's ridiculous because you weren't even invited. You're not, you weren't even part of that covenant. There's no option, not to to speak of the fact that that covenant is no longer recognized by God, but even if you wanted to be a Jew 
and try to keep the law, you're so off base, it's ridiculous. Anyway, so, so the old covenant was between God and Israel, God and the Jews. And it was a temporary covenant. It began on Sinai when he began the covenant, and it ended at the cross. When the veil was rent in two, God says, that's it, it's done. It has fulfilled its purpose. The temple, the sacrifice, and the priest were all pictures of Christ, of, of the shadows of the good thing to come. He has fulfilled it all as himself as being the high priest, the lamb himself, and the temple himself that he raised in three days. He's all of it. He's the temple. He's the priesthood. He's the sacrifice. He's all of it. It's been fulfilled, and the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom by the hand of God. Amen. And saints, let me just say this. Veils don't really keep you from getting, getting somewhere. You can push a curtain back and get that. A veil is, the main purpose of a veil is not to block entrance. The main purpose of a veil is to block sight. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Sight. Amen. That's why when Moses' face was shining, you know, he's talking to God, he put a veil over his face so they couldn't see. We find out later through Paul that he, he did that because his face was fading. He didn't want people to see that the face was fading, so he put a veil on. But the veil is to hide something Keep you from seeing something, okay? I'm about to talk about something that will tie into this, but remember this, that when Jesus died on the cross, the moment he breathed his last, when he died, that's when the veil was rent. Remember this, saints. The moment he died, God took away the sin of the world. Jesus said when he went to the cross, now is the judgment of this world. What? Now is the judgment of this world. God judged all sin on Christ. And when he died, the veil was rent. Now, what does that mean, saints? When you and I fully grasp the fact that God is no longer counting your sins against you, you will see the invisible reality that we are talking about in greater ways. You will see the veil moves aside so you can see when we fully appreciate and understand and rest that your sins are no longer being, being counted against you. It is your guilty conscience that keeps you from seeing. It is your shame that keeps you from seeing. God says, do not be ashamed. Do not fear. Believe that I did take away the sin of the world. I took away your sin, not just your past, not just your present, but your future. You weren't even born yet when Jesus died. He took away every possible thing you could do in this world. He said, tell Israel, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Tell them they have received double for their iniquity. I have paid double for all their sins. You can't sin enough in this lifetime to overcome the blood of the Lamb. Amen. You can't do it. He overpaid. He overpaid for all of us. He said, I paid double. He wants you to rest. He wants you to believe and rest so that veil opens up in greater and greater ways. Peter says even the believers are sometimes nearsighted, Peter said. We're nearsighted, having forgotten, having forgotten that we were once purged from all our sin. That's the apostle Peter. He's giving us the clue. 
the secret to seeing. He says, look, some of you believers are nearsighted in spiritual matters because you've forgotten that you were once purged, cleansed, forgiven of all your sin. Remember him again. Take the covenant meal and remember this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see it? The scripture says under the old covenant of law, there was a remembrance of sin year by year, day by day, because the very sacrifices that were offered caused people to remember sin. Remember sin. Remember that we're not forgiven. We're just covering it for now. We're just covering it for now. We're just covering it for now. But Hebrews 10 says, but he, the lamb, in the volume of the book it is written of me, he said, thou hast prepared a body for me, Jesus said, that I might offer it up. And in the offering of this lamb, he takes away the sin of the world. Behold the lamb of God, John said, who takes away the sin of the world. You know why John is the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus said? He did no miracle. He did nothing seemingly fantastic. Jesus said he's the greatest man who's ever lived on earth. You know why? It was because the message he preached is the greatest message in the world. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And you are great in the kingdom because you have that same message and you can tell the world too. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's awesome. That's how God looks at his son. That's how God sees his son. His son's sacrifice. Listen to him, the father says. Hear him. Look at him. It's awesome, isn't it? So we have to see all the scripture speaks of the Christ. And we have to see that there are two covenants. And we have to read rightly dividing the word. Rightly speaking the word. As Paul said, there are those who are zealous of the law to preach and teach the law, not knowing this first, that the law is not for the righteous. Those who are righteous in Christ, it's not for you and I. The law is the strength of sin, the scripture says. We never go back to the law as a believer. Never. I hear this said all the time. People say, well, the greatest commandment is to to love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. I said, no, it's not. Read the context. What happened? What happened in that scene? They, the Pharisees came to Jesus and, and asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Trying to catch him in his words. Trick him. What do you say, Master? We consider you a great teacher. What is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said the greatest commandment of the law Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. And the Pharisee said, Well said. But notice the question. The question was not the greatest commandment of a new covenant that they had no idea was coming anyway. The question was, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus rightly spoke. If 
the covenant of law is so diametrically different from the covenant of grace, wouldn't you think the greatest commandment under the covenant of grace would be a different great commandment than the one under the law? Absolutely. It's absolutely. So what is the greatest commandment of your covenant of grace? What is the greatest commandment of your covenant of grace? This is a great conversation starter, by the way. If you want to get someone starting, ask them, ask them what do you think the greatest commandment is? Of course, of course, of course you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Love me and yourself. Then you can ease into, but, but that, was, that was the greatest commandment under the law. What is the greatest commandment under the, under the new covenant of grace? And they'll go like, well, what do you mean? Anyway, it'll be a great way to start. <laughs> so what is the greatest commandment under the new covenant of grace? The greatest commandment under the new covenant of grace is this, that you believe that God loves you with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, and all his strength as manifested in the offering of Jesus. And the second is likened to it, to believe that God loves your neighbor as much as he loves you. That's it. That is the greatest commandment. If you don't fulfill, if you don't obey that commandment, you're lost. You're only saved if you believe on Jesus. You see what I'm saying? That's why it's the greatest commandment. To believe. When you, when you say, I believe on Jesus, what you're really saying is, I'm, I'm, I'm believing on this love that he gave himself for me. You're believing on the love. You're believing that he loved me with all his mind, all his strength. And you know, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says when God brought Israel into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, which is a picture of Christ. There's a scripture where, in the Old Testament where God says, and I will bring you into this land filled with milk and honey, and I will plant you in that land with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. You see? God loves us so much. So the greatest commandment in the New Covenant is to believe. It's to believe. To believe Him. To believe in this love. Out of that great commandment. We do love God and we do love our neighbor, but it's not that uh, it's, we don't put the heart before the cart. It's not that we first loved him, Paul said, but that he first loved us. See, not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. And so when we receive this love from him, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for me. While we were yet enemies, he gave himself. When we receive this love for us, the Spirit of God sheds abroad in our heart the love of God so that we do love him and others as a fruit of his life, a fruit of the Spirit. You see it? It's so cool. It's genius. It's genius. God is a genius. And all of these religious nuts don't see it. These whited sepulchers, these snakes. Jesus called them snakes. I guess I can call them a nut. Jesus called them snakes and whited sepulchers. That means tombstones that look good on the outside, but they're full of dead men's bones. It's awesome to see what God did. 
It's fun to brag on God. It is so cool to brag on God. And that's what we do. Thanks. Thank you. It's the light. See, it's, I'm getting hot. No. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not the light. It's just, it's the body can't handle it. It's the overflow of the spirit. Yeah, and sweat. Okay, so we've got the first two things in reading the scripture. Christ's central. Christ is the center of all the scripture. Secondly, the two covenants, the two trees, read it. Seeing the revelation of Christ, don't mix the two covenants. Don't try to make a monument for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. By the way, God hates mixture. That's why he, in the Old Testament he said, don't sow two kinds of seed in the same row. Don't sow with two kinds of fabric. Remember he said that? Does God care about the seeds and the rows? Does God care about the fabric? No. Does God care about the ox being muzzled? No. He's teaching us something different, something else. He doesn't want you to mix law and grace. The scripture says you're not under law, but under grace. The law is death. Grace is life. You can't mix death and life. It cannot be mixed. A lot of theologians try to mix it up like oil and vinegar, but you let it sit for a while, they will separate. It is God's intention is not ever to mix law and grace. So, or the third thing. The third thing in reading the scripture is so important is this, we must realize that the unseen reality that God has brought to us in Christ must be our mindset. We must, we must look for the unseen. As Paul said, look not at the seen, but at the unseen. In other words, we will never understand fully this awesome covenant of grace if we look at our performance as a basis for our righteousness. See what I'm saying? If you look at how you're doing, that's the scene. If you're looking at how many good works you're doing and, or how many bad works you're doing, that's the scene. You'll never grasp the unseen reality that you are really righteous as a gift from God. And we'll never really grow in the awareness of our union with Him. That's all, this is all unseen. This is all invisible. This is invisible. This is a revelation by the Spirit. It's very important that we realize, as Romans says, the invisible things of God are even seen in creation. Hebrews says the unseen world made the seen world. We know that that which is unseen made that which is seen. So what's, what's, what came first, the unseen or the seen? The unseen came first. What is, what is temporary? What's eternal? The unseen is eternal. The seen is temporary. So we need to allow the Spirit to anchor us beyond the veil and see the unseen and grasp by revelation the reality and not be moved by what our eyes see. That's key. That's key. That's apostolic emphasis. The apostolic emphasis was on the unseen reality of Christ. The unseen. Having the Spirit open our eyes. Paul's prayer was that the eyes, O church, I pray that the eyes of your heart, your new heart, be opened that you might understand the hope of His calling, the exceeding glory of the riches of His inheritance that is in the saints now, that the exceeding greatness of His power that is towards you according to the power He manifested when He raised Christ 
Christ up from the dead and set him up above all things at his own right hand, above all principalities and all dominion, all authority, and gave him to be the head of the church, the fullness of God who fills all in all. See? And he lives in you. He lives in you. I got it, You do have it. You have been having it. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, unseen reality, see? I got a song I want to, not sing, don't be I got a song I want to play on my phone. I think it'll, the mic will pick it up. I just want you to hear this song. It's so cool. But, um, you know, we can go on and on and on. I don't want to go too long today, but those three, those three things. Those, those three things are so awesome. When you're reading the scripture, know that you're looking for Jesus in the scripture. And then the two covenants, the two trees, you know, see the revelation there about this covenant. Oh, I, oh, I know, I didn't finish this. Your covenant, your covenant of grace is not between you and God. God cut a covenant with his son. See, he became man, so God cut a covenant with his son. Remember when Abraham fell asleep? He was going to cut a covenant with God. God, God was going to cut a covenant with Abraham, and so God told him to take the pieces of the animals, cut them in half, separate them. That's the way they did covenant in the old days to show that, you know, we're one. Take the animals, cut them in half. We're one in this covenant. If I break this covenant, let this happen to me as it's happened to these animals. We're one. We cannot live without each other, basically. You know, we're dead, separated, but... We walk between the pieces of the animals and make covenant. That's how they made covenant. And so Abraham did, as God said, you know, brought the pieces of the animals and cut them in half so he could walk through with God. Abraham's getting ready to walk through with God, and suddenly he gets sleepy, falls asleep. And then he wakes up. Well, first, little tidbit in the Scripture, very, very important. The vultures came and tried to take the animals that he cut, and Abraham drove them away. You as a son and daughter of Abraham, don't let the enemy take this away. You as a son and daughter of Abraham, you drive the evil away. Don't let him steal the seed that's been put in your heart. And so here's Abraham falling asleep. Then he wakes up. This. Something's going on. That he just woke up. He's not even involved. He's not even involved. He woke up from a from a sleep. From a rest. And he looks. And what does he see? He sees a smoking furnace looking thing. Like smoking clouds. And a burning torch. Going between the pieces. I've asked many Jewish people what that was. They do not know. But you know. That was the father, the smoke. The son was the torch. Because no man can see the father except through the son. He is the light. If the torch had not been there, it had been pitch black. And you wouldn't have seen the smoking furnace going through. the. It would be invisible because only through the son can you see the father. So the burning torch was the son, the wheel within the wheel, the son within God. Cutting covenant with God. And here's... 
the Father cutting covenant with the Son, that is the seed that God said would be the blessed, the blessing for all the families on the earth. That's what Paul says in Galatians when he said, when God cut covenant with Abraham, this is what he was talking about, that Christ is the seed, that the covenant was made with God and God. That's why Paul says in Galatians that this new covenant doesn't have a mediator because if, the, if there's only one party in a covenant, you don't need a mediator. That's in Galatians. There's only one party. It's God. With God, within God, cut a covenant with God for you, for me. How do I, get a, how do I become a beneficiary of this awesome covenant? When Jesus died, he fulfilled all things. And the inheritance that he received from the Father was now released to the Son and to all who believe on the Son. So when he fulfilled all things, he came from the Father and came into the world. He left this world and came, went back to the Father, Jesus said, and sat down. It's a complete circle. He sat down. It's done. The covenant cannot be reversed. He sat down. It's done. So you and I are not part of the covenant so that we have to perform we merely believe on Jesus and the, the, the inheritance that he received is given to you because through your faith, you are placed inside of him and he is placed inside of you. You are as he is in this world. So his, his inheritance is your inheritance. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are an heir of God, not because of anything you did, but because he raised you from the dead and joined you to him who lives forever. What a rest. What a rest. And we boast in this awesome work, this covenant of grace, and we shout from the housetops that the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment is to believe that He loves me with all His heart and all His soul and all His mind and all His strength. And He loves my neighbor as much as He loves me. For He tasted death for every man. Awesome. It's just so awesome. I mean, just to ponder these things. This is how we can walk in the Spirit because our mind is being renewed to this other reality. Two worlds at the same time. That's how Jesus lived. He went to Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, he couldn't put this in his head. You know, he's like, what, what? I, I know you've got to be sent from God because no one does what you do, but I just, my mind is on tilt. And Jesus says, Oh, Nicodemus, if I tell you earthly things and you don't get it, if I tell you, uh, it's, like, it's like having a baby. It's like being born again. An earthly thing, right? Nicodemus, Nicodemus goes, what? How can I enter my mother's womb? Okay, Jesus goes, oh yeah, it's like the wind. It's like, it's like the wind. Can't see it, but you see the effects of it. That's how it's like when you're born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is like, what? <laughs> then Jesus goes, Oh, Nicodemus, what if, 
what if I just ascend back into heaven right now in front of your eyes where I am right now, Nicodemus? He said that. He said, what if I just ascended right now into heaven before your eyes so you can get what I'm saying where I am right now in heaven? He said that. He's walking in heaven while he walked the earth. You see that? He goes, I am in heaven, Nicodemus. You want me to ascend visibly so you can see it? John chapter 3. Look it up. It's awesome. It's so cool. In that reality he gave to his apostles and gave to you and me. Now we are seated with him in heavenly places. We are actually where he is. He prepared a place for us that we might be where he is in him and he in us. We are where he is in the spirit. He is where we are on earth as we walk. Lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the world. That's the only way you can live the Christian life. Is if if you're from heaven. And walk in the life of God. Only God can live like God. Apart from him, we can do zero. The son said that. The son said, apart from the father, I can do zero. He lived completely dependent, completely dependent upon the father. He only moved as the father moved through him and spoke as the father spoke. Because the words, the words I speak are not my words. The words of my father who dwells within me. The works I do are not my works, but the works of my Father who dwells within me. As I live by the Father, you're going to be living by me when I'm done. You're going to live by me, just like I live by the Father. I'm going to live through you. To live is Christ. Your words will be His words. Your works will be His works as we depend on Him to work through us and move through us and walk through us. Why? Because we truly are living in two worlds at the same time. Behold the kingdom of heaven. And it's really important to grow in that that dependency as the son lived in total dependency upon the father. That's why Jacob walks with the limb. Jacob is a picture of the new man wrestling with God, holding on to God. Bless me, bless me, bless me. And God's already blessed him. Sometimes you have to let go of God so he can hold on to you. Sometimes you're holding so hard onto God, you're not at rest, you're striving. And God says, let go of me so I can hold you. And the way he got Jacob to let go of him was he hit his thigh so he would, he would make him let go. And in his weakness, he had to let go. And that's when he got a new name. And that's when he was blessed. Quit trying to hold on to God. Let God hold on to you. By faith, rest. And from that day forth, He walked with a limp, leaning on his staff. And that's the new man. We lean on the staff. We lean on Christ that he might live through us. It's a rest. Yes. Yes. We are to labor to stop laboring. We are to labor to enter into his rest. He who has believed has ceased from his own works as God did cease from his works. The true Sabbath is Christ. The Sabbath was just a picture of Christ. We rest in Him. Awesome. I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to play this little song. I'm going to leave you with this. Continue to see yourself as the beloved of God. Never forget that. John called himself his beloved. You know, he was writing the Gospels. He goes, 
um, the beloved disciple did this, the beloved disciple did that. He's talking about himself. That's not self-centeredness. That's, he gets it. John knew he was beloved of God. Never forget that you're beloved of God. Jesus' prayer in John 17, the last words of his prayer, John 17, most awesome prayer in all the Bible, John 17, his last words were, Father, he's praying for you and me. He says, Father, I pray that they would know that you love them just as you love me. Beloved, my beloved son, And I pray, Father, that that love would be in them and I in them. End of prayer. His prayers get answered. And he prayed that for you and me. Jesus said, ask, you shall receive. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. So awesome. Let's play that song.
That's David Dunn. David Dunn. David Dunn. Awesome uh, song. Uh, the name of the song is Lift Your Eyes. I think Lift Your Eyes. Yeah. I think it's Lift. Oh, that's right. Today is Beautiful. Sorry. Today is Beautiful by David Dunn. Awesome, awesome song. Lord, we just thank you that you're helping us see, you're helping us lift our eyes. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that the words that went forth will be life in our hearts. Let it explode in us. Let the revelation grow and be multiplied within us. Let the revelation come forth in great clarity. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes. Thank you for comforting us today. Thank you for your love. I pray that everyone has an awesome sleep tonight. Speak to us in our dreams. Help us see the greatness of your love. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.